three, two, one. This is Bebop Tabletop, the podcast that's turning each episode of Cowboy Bebop into a tabletop RPG. I'm Michael Janoff. I'm Lee Jo John. I'm Andrew Wu. And together, we're remixing the characters, music, and themes into a game you can play. Let's jam. Hello, Space Warriors! Welcome to Bebop Tabletop Session 4, Gateway Shuffle. Uh, once again, I am Andrew Wu, and with me today are Michael and Lee Joe. Hello! Hey! Oh, hey! Are you guys ordering the sea rat or the lobster? Ooh. I mean, the sea rat's a delicacy. You gotta <laughs> Bring me sea rat! <laughs> I've heard they're disgusting, but yeah, when, when in Rome, when in Ganymede. Uh, first, I want to talk about some some big bebop news that happened while we were waiting to publish our episodes. It turns out that Don't Panic Games and Mana Project Studio announced an official Cowboy Bebop tabletop RPG, and their Kickstarter is coming in twenty two. So I guess we should just wrap up our podcast now. Is this it? Well, at least we didn't get too far in. So we're I'm, I'm good. <laughs> it's good work, everybody. Let's wrap this up. See you later. <laughs> No, but for for real, like we are excited to see what they come up with, and we'll talk about it at some point. I, I think once they start releasing some notes, we should be pretty far along with our game design as well. And it'll be cool to see, like, do they go for the casual audience? Do they like like what we talked about last week, where we were discussing whether we should be super detailed on flight or not? Like, we'll see how they decide to tackle that problem. How do they handle music? I think that's one that I've I've heard they're they're planning to publish a soundtrack with the game. I don't know what that means. I'm very excited by it. Another thing that happened earlier this week was that Cowboy Bebop was released on Netflix. So a couple weeks ago, we also mentioned that uh, we weren't sure whether it would be on a split, like you could watch the anime on Hulu and the show on Netflix. But now they're both in one place. So if you've got Netflix, you you can watch along with us week by week. The the last point I want to make is that this is our first recording since we launched the podcast. And I just really quickly want to thank everybody that has been listening so far and given us any kind of feedback because it feels great just knowing that somebody's listening to what we're putting out there and hopefully we'll, we'll like live up to what, you know, the promise that we're making. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it feels good that uh, we finally are able to publish after, you know, so much talk. But, uh, you know, now we've actually got to follow through and finish this project, right? Yeah, start working on the... Uh actual written rulebook portion of it too, which we are kind of working on a little bit in the background on GM Binder is likely going to be the case for it. But mm, Very, very... Again, the hope that we got... After this, we've got 22 episodes and a movie and a Netflix series, so we're on our way. <laughs> <laughs> All right, with that, are we ready for a summary? Let's do it. Mm-hmm. All right, this week, we're going to jump into Session 4, Gateway Shuffle. While Faye recovers a mysterious package, the Bebop boys lose another bounty. But lucky for them, they capture Twinkle Maria Murdoch, the Space Warriors eco-terrorist who is wanted for 25 million Wulongs. Unfortunately, Ganymede cancels the reward because they're being held hostage by monkey business, a virus that turns humans into monkeys. The crew gives Maria back to her warriors, who fire the missile anyway. After failing to shoot down the multi-warhead missile, Spike and Faye barely escape the closing hyperspace gate as the space warriors get trapped and return to a primal state. 
Gentlemen, this episode was full of a lot of space combat, a, a, you know, a big hyperspace thing. Te technology was a big feature in this. Uh, we were discussing earlier how, for game mechanic purposes, uh, hyperspace isn't really that interesting. Yeah, and I think it kind of boils down to uh, how what kind of game you want to play. It, for the most part, it's either uh, you hand wave it, you go through the hyperspace, you do the thing, you do the travel... Or if you want to actually run through anything, you could run it as a chase sequence if something happens inside the game. And we talked about chase sequences in previous episodes. So I had previously off air had mentioned to these uh, to the guys here and just mentioned that this is very similar to uh, planar travel in you know a D and D sense. There are many planes of you know of reality in in D and D, and you can be as specific as you want now you can literally just use a spell and teleport between uh planes and then there are people who need rituals or circles or mm -hmm. uh particular arcane components and i think that in the same way with hyperspace i think that is very similar if you want to be uh very specific in how you travel from planet to planet that is absolutely your prerogative but other people it's we'll we're, we'll be there in thirty seconds, so let's get there. You know, right? I, I compared it to survival mechanics in Dungeons and Dragons, where some people want a, a very strict, like, oh, I need to eat this much food, or we have to forage, and it takes what? What do they say? Like an average twenty-four miles a day for travel, things Your like day, that. Yeah. And some people are like, ah, eh, let's go to the next town. That's where the interesting stuff is, anyway. Like, just, let's just skip ahead. Yeah, you do even with something like that. You you're you're traveling along a road or something that has attractions, you know, even if mm -hmm. you're trying to get somewhere, there could be a special hut alongside the road that you can investigate if you want. Here with hyperspace, it's a, it's a featureless tube. Yeah. How would you like to investigate this featureless tube? You can crash into the side of it if you want, like, <laughs> like Spike did. Yeah. Very cool visual effect. Not that interesting gameplay. A little, a little questionable. I, Speaking of getting crunchy about it, I think if you start looking into it, it, it might be difficult to come up with any kind of crunchy mechanics for how hyperspace works. <laughs> Jet made it look, made it sound very obvious how it works, but uh, yeah. the show school, doesn't show basic that. Basic high school physics. <laughs> uh, Lijo, you also mentioned uh, a, th a theme possibility of crime and punishment. You want to go into that a bit? So there's a lot going on in every in every episode, but this is the first time where I kind of think that the the Western aspect of the space Western that is Cowboy Bebop uh, really kind of shines. Now the law has always been kind of a uh, nebulous concept, where there are some people you know need it to you know command law and order, and others see it as a way to uh, restrict people who don't. Uh, you know, don't follow the norm. But in this case, I just wanted to say sort of, uh, it is interesting that, you know, whether, you know, uh, Maria has a, a bounty or, or not, uh, they are able to twist the arms of this 8 million, in 8 million person inhabited planet, well, moon, to, uh, to, uh, to their will. And she is able to, lose the bounty immediately with a little bit of uh, coercion. Now, obviously, a uh, a monkey virus is, uh, you know, far from the norm, but the idea that, you know, maybe, 
maybe not everybody uh, is playing by the same set of rules here. And I think that's interesting and something that, you know, one could use as part of their campaign, whether, you know, maybe the answer is not always uh, hunt the person down and uh, give them to the cops. Interesting. So that that reminds me of a part. So something the Bebop crew also did was Jet contacted an old buddy of his from ISSP, uh, Bob, I think mm-hmm. his name was, and twisted his arm as well to get more information, right? Like, I think, I, I don't remember exactly what happened, but I remember Bob at first was stonewalling him, was saying, I can't give you any more. Mm-hmm. And then he kind of leaned on him and said, hey, I know what you did. You can't, <laughs> if you don't want me to go to the right people with this information, you got to give me something back. Pretty sure it was the red eye from the first episode. They didn't say it explicitly, but oh, okay. They, he, he said something special eye drops. Yeah. <laughs> mm, mm. So there's a there's like a recurring background theme of that same drug trade going on. Actually, this probably ties to the syndicate. Yeah. I'm about to say um, this may be the first time that there's real continuity between episodes. There's references to the red eye. You know, this this literally is like <laughs> it seems to follow the episode where they meet Faye. Like almost to a T, so like this is probably the first time where we have a real sense of continuity in this universe, as opposed to kind of an episodic sort of thing, you know. I love that idea. So when Faye is reintroduced here, one of the first things that ha- or when she is kidnapped again, I, I guess, by the Be- Bebop crew, uh, the first thing they do is go through all her stuff to try to find the money that she stole, <laughs> and finding out that she spent it all is. She bet it all. She she lost it at a casino again somewhere. Is mm-hmm. is fantastic. Uh, I can imagine one player being introduced or an NPC possibly being introduced in one session, and everyone loving them so much, and somebody wanting to play them later that they come back in another session, but have to wipe away the fact that oh, you have to be poor again. You can't play this game with twenty five million wulongs. Like it's, <laughs> it's going to unbalance everything. So we're just going to spend it all. <laughs> well, it helps to bring back existing characters too, if. A character got zeroed out mm-hmm. somewhere down the line. Yeah, kind of, kind of reinforcing that uh, bottoming out mechanic that we have. It, it happens to all of us. Hmm, that could be, that could be a thing. Like, it just happens to people frequently. Yeah, the Bebop crew runs on zero money every single episode. <laughs> it does raise the question as to what the negative consequences of that are, and if we want to talk about it, that could sequence into our. Our next discussion point. Yeah, so speaking of continuity, the discussion of finding finding May stuck uh, without fuel cells mm-hmm. introduces this idea that if something bad happens, uh, maybe from a previous episode, or in this case, a previous session, where at the end you didn't come up with the monetary score that you wanted or there's some other negative ramification in the downtime between episodes between sessions it could be that something bad happens there's some price that you have to pay for not having any money and in this case it could be that you don't have any fuel or you couldn't buy enough fuel to get to where you needed to go and so speaking of mechanics there could be you could be a little bit freeform with this you could make it purely contextual, or you could have some rollable table. Rollable people love tables. Mm-hmm. They exist. You can come up with a table of 20 items, roll a d20 for the bad thing. Right. Uh, perhaps you can get specific if you want. Uh, the bad money thing, the bad injury thing. 
and yeah, something results. Maybe something that you roll on the table is you run out of fuel. And so mm-hmm. you have to figure, okay, you're out of fuel, so now you're at the mercy of someone else to pick you up. Or you don't. Or if it goes really bad, it nobody finds you, nobody picks you up. Now, in this case, we saw, I think we saw two things happening. Mm-hmm. Three, if you consider not having food and running yeah. low on food. But the one is she found a mysterious cache mm-hmm. around. It wasn't clear what what I think what she was, was orbiting. The, uh, she was she was orbiting Jupiter. Okay, right? that that was the main thing. Uh, what she saw was a the guy. I presume that this was the ISSP's spy inside of mm. the Space Warriors organization. Okay. Because it he was running away. Yeah. yeah, he's running away with the virus, right, in that case. So, and and they mentioned earlier, later, that they lost contact with their mole on the inside. So mm. I presume that that was this guy. Okay, and yeah. he was dying, <laughs> right, for some reason. Something happened to him. He got splattered. Really not not sure how that happened. <laughs> yeah. But so yeah, so you could you could find a thing and if 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 the GM is particularly flexible and can spin an entire story arc mm-hmm. based on that or use it as a uh, as a as a way to give a tool to somebody, that could be a positive outcome. You know, mm-hmm. I was talking about strategic and tactical differences. In a session, it's usually tactical. It's you're doing the thing right now that interests the current the current action, the current plot. But we do have a notion again of continuity of you know, what happens in between, what happens in the downtime, and mm. this could be a way to have ramifications for how the previous bounty went. Mm. So something that this reminds me of is I, I've have you ever played Pandemic Legacy? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I have not, but I'm aware of the the character mechanic. How between plays of the game, bad things can happen, consequences can occur. Uh, the obvious one being like your character has become sick, or your character has gotten injured in some way, and as a result of that, in, in playing the game a certain way. Your character now has a wound or a scar of some kind that carries forward session to session, right? Mm. Or possibly even dies in between, you know, because of what you did this session. One of the things I was thinking of for a character, again, we haven't talked about character creation yet. And we're, you know, I think we're getting closer and closer to figuring out what characters are like. Uh, one of the things could be exactly this strategic, this strategic kind of. Uh, growth, right? Your character has suffered a down, has suffered, has bottomed out, has has bottomed out. Once they bottom out, we roll from the table or we pick a thematic uh, scar of some kind. And that scar becomes a part of your character. It builds up over time and affects your future growth. I guess the balance would have to be something like, you want it to be somewhat negative because you bottomed out, but also be an opportunity for growth every time. You want to make sure that it's something that turns into something interesting. Uh, one of the things that happens to us in Dungeons & Dragons sometimes is uh, we. I had a character that, well, you know, sometimes you fail at something or 
you know, you go to attack somebody, but you get stabbed. And now, oh, I, I, the one I was thinking, a specific example I'm thinking of is uh, we had a friend, Brandon. Uh, his paladin got attacked by some some slimes. And from that point on, this character is deathly afraid of slimes. Like, he did so poorly against them. And mostly it was bad roles. It was generated gameplay. And because he just did so poorly against these slimes, he's, his character is now convinced that all slimes are incredibly deadly and will always dis- are things to be avoided. And that's just part of his character now. And that's entirely dynamically created. We could craft those situations as part of your bottoming out process. Yeah, it goes it goes kind of both ways too. The the great successes, the bottoming outs, and even the even the in betweens. But usually, there usually it's one or the other is the way the pendulum swings, huh? <laughs> <laughs> there usually isn't a lot of gradient. Um, but, I guess I guess my my issue with this, and it's not a, a huge problem, is that in the end, it really depends on the player character, right? It's you can give a player, you know, a, what you might consider a great boon, and if they have no interest in in considering that in part of their daily actions and just want to continue their, you know, uh, power fantasy, they may continue Murder doing so. Um, now, it, when we talked about, you know, Brandon's Fear of Slimes, like, that was something he created organically, and I think that makes it uh, much more interesting. If you give mm-hmm. a disability mm-hmm. or a phobia to somebody and they're not on board... Uh, they one they'll probably ignore it, and two, uh, they may there may be something a point of contention, and obviously we're here to have mm. fun, right? So I I think that you know if you I think that you know these types of um uh, what's the opposite of a boon uh either Alice no. yes some sort of um I think that should be something that is cooperatively created between player yes. and, and GM. And that's, it's tough. But I think that most players are at least <laughs> uh, mature enough to to mm. be reasonable, rather than saying, no, I have the most powerful character ever. As, as a note to your point, games that introduce, and there are several that introduce malices or injuries mm. or stacking disabilities, they're usually horror games. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> that where the powerlessness is part of the game. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder if there's a... I mean, I'm sure there's a way to encourage this. Uh, carrot and stick, right? Mm. We, we will present you a stick. Or, you know, we will hit you with the stick a little bit. But the promise of, oh, this will lead to this power... If you play through it well enough, right. that might be enough. That does that does raise an interesting question of who the audience of this game is as well, right? I think again, my own bias and my own personal personal like preferences for how to play these kind of games is always one of uh, how do I make my character worse and worse over time? How do I how do I make my character more interesting? Like I, I'm not interested in the power fantasy too much. I'm much more interested in like let's build a character that starts off kind of plain and gets really really weird as we go. Like that that's always interesting to me. I understand that not everybody plays that way. <laughs> it's very table dependent. <laughs> 
I mean, yeah, as uh, as a DM, I've you know, I've met definitely seen. Yeah, some some people are very much into min maxing their character, and some mm-hmm. are you know willing to take the uh, you know the road less traveled, you know, and they'll they'll take something uh, some sort of character flaw, and that I think that in the end is much more interesting than in than playing the power fantasy. But I understand why people do it. I absolutely, I totally get it. You want you want to you want to be the hero. You want to be. The best, but that being said, you know, not all not all flaws, not all disabilities are you know the end of the world. And I think that you know, growing as a person and growing you know as a you know a player, it, you learn to accommodate you know the hand you've been given, or uh, or you always or you sometimes grapple with the all oh, this character is basically done is too many stacked up mouses let's throw them out and get a new one <laughs> that too i guess at that point it's up to your dm to give them a blaze of glory moment we haven't had uh we haven't seen any of that yet in the game in the no. game in the tv series <laughs> unless you want to consider um, the red eye episode uh where she mm. um, i'm uh, my my memory's failing me right now but uh, the criminal's girlfriend, you know, mm-hmm. kills uh, kills him, and then you know goes down in a kind of a rain of bullets. Interesting. So if we if we if we take that scene in a in this concept, like she has stacked on so many disadvantages at that point that she decides it's over, right? Like the moment in that episode that I remember, and you know. It's it, it's been weeks now, so yeah, easy to not remember the details. But I think her line is something like, uh, "We will never make it to Mars," right? That that exact dark noir kind of character moment mm. is is the recognition that oh, there is no out, there is no way out from here. So I'd rather take it into my own hands and blaze of glory. Yeah. Yeah. So. I think I think what what we may be discussing here is this this mechanic is is definitely a, a tonal shift for the game mm-hmm. or a tonal direction and it could be we've talked a little bit about this last week but it could be an optional rule if your table mm-hmm. doesn't want to have this type of tone involved because mm-hmm. it is it is more it is a little it's a little darker it is a little grittier it implies that healing from your past scars are more difficult mm-hmm. um, again depending on how you play it because the other the other way to do it is oh well the boons are you always get boons when something bad happens then that's kind of mm-hmm. i don't know <laughs> <laughs> I wonder, yeah, what is the, it's like a plant healing itself, right? It's like I've cut off this branch and now it grows a different branch, right? Like that that's a different kind of game. <laughs> <laughs> well, we even talked D&D. There are lots of rule sets for D&D on how how how, how you heal. Yeah. You take a nap mm. and all your limbs grow back. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. <laughs> there are other versions to how those games play out and the ones that have longer spans of time between ability to recuperate are they're a different tone they're a little Mm. a little more mortal (laughs) yeah that's interesting in this in the cowboy bebop universe so far 
basically everyone, with, with a few exceptions, uh, definitely the main characters, are invincible so far. Right? Uh, has anybody been seriously injured on the main crew? Not yet, right? Not that we've noticed. Mm. I guess the closest is still is Faye this episode bottoming out on gas and food, right? Uh, Faye seemed fine. She wasn't <laughs> yeah. complaining about being she malnourished. Yeah, she wasn't eating chips for days. Yeah. Uh, remind me, does Jet have a prosthetic arm, or is that just a? Like he a, does. A yeah. Glove? So I mean, at least there is, uh, there is some there has there's previous injury, correct? Mm-hmm. His big ones are, yeah, the prosthetic arm. I don't remember right or left. The scar is always on the wrong side. <laughs> he has a scar over his eye, but his eye seems okay. Mm. And he's got a some sort of metal implant under that same eye. Yeah. I don't know what it does. Yeah, this week he also had those cool glo- those cool goggles that let him yes. like de-surgerify uh, their first bounty. What was his name? Morgan? Something like that? Yeah. It was Morgan. It was Morgan. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. What are What are we? Are we two, two or three for four of that being a thing? Uh, it happened to Hakim for sure. Yeah. Uh, I think I the first guy week. had facial reconstruction too, didn't he? Uh, maybe I don't remember that. They didn't focus on it. I thought they might have talked about it, but. But... Still, we're at fifty percent cosmetic <laughs> surgery. So cosmetic surgery is a thing in this universe, and we need to account for that. It's also trivialized. <laughs> mm-hmm. It doesn't seem to cause... These are people that just stole money, right? So it's not like they're rich and getting plastic surgery. It just seems to be, yeah, whatever money I already had on hand, I can change my image completely. Yeah. Plastic surgery is cheap and can be done by any back alley doctor, apparently. <laughs> so uh, that's a world, right? <laughs> A different segment that we can touch on lightly here because we haven't we haven't talked sure. about stuff or items too much um, because these goggles I forget how they how they knew there was facial reconstruction in the last episode I think they called they called the doctor who did mm-hmm. some backwards whatever <laughs> I think it was the doctor that he himself had performed the surgery oh, okay yeah. So this time, this time they have the goggles. This time they have mm-hmm. an item to perform the task themselves and essentially trivialize what could be difficult otherwise. And yep. items in games, tabletop role-playing games, are, are actually quite the balancing point. Mm-hmm. Some games struggle significantly with the players having too much stuff. Mm-hmm. And at a certain point, and this happens in any, this happens in a lot of games with long continuity, is the players accumulate stuff that doesn't actually have a timeout or a deterioration mm-hmm. or any ability to reduce its effectiveness or applicability. And what happens is, as the campaign goes on, it becomes a lot more difficult to have a have a encounter a challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the some ga- some games handle it by in in various ways effectively wiping out player inventories, mm-hmm. and especially in some games, accumulating items is a form of character progression. Mm-hmm. And 
some games like D&D have a hard limit on how much item you can use of special item and right, other games yeah. Yeah, other games don't place a cap but they wipe out your items in other ways mm. um, and depending on how we handle that in our game and we can see as the time goes on because we've only had one example how how, how do we handle items hmm i wonder what what else counts too things like uh, things like I guess, yeah, we haven't had too many items at all. Like, the crew has not picked anything up. We know... Except uh, for Ayn. had that... Uh, except for Ayn, yeah. <laughs> Again, now Ayn could be an item instead of a player character. <laughs> the uh, in, in So in that episode, Jet also uses, like, that GPS collar, which he had to acquire somewhere, mm-hmm. right? That was an item, or could have been an item. It could be something that the crew picked up at some point. Uh, I guess we haven't gone shopping at all. We we saw Spike in that weapon shop at some point. We don't know where they pick up gear. Right? Jet's on his computer sometimes, which just does things magically, it seems. <laughs> he's he's a technologist. He does the technology. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, this is the future, presumably. You can buy everything on whatever future Amazon is, right? <laughs> uh, though apparently Bob still likes his uh, porn on paper. On paper, <laughs> that's yes, right. I noted that too. <laughs> paper never dies. Untraced. Otherwise, you know, he's at work, so he can't put that on his work computer. It's true. <laughs> well, he's got stacks of it. Apparently, <laughs> he had it hanging on the wall too. Yeah, and he video calls. He Zoom calls all day as well. <laughs> but yeah, I- items are. We'll have to keep an eye on on that. I don't think there's enough to sink mm-hmm. into on this episode, but as always, I think it's a matter of uh, uh, player GM discretion. Um, I've in my in my DMD campaigns, I've been pretty. I try to be pretty generous with uh, magical items, and it usually goes one of two ways: either <laughs> I've given them something too powerful, and it's really messed up all my encounters, and I've had to make them harder and harder because they keep punching upwards. Or uh, they completely forget about it, and uh, they've never used it, and that's <laughs> that's actually not a terrible problem. I you know obviously you just uh, you make things more challenging, or you let them you know enjoy their power fantasy. Um, but and then of course you know you design something for the one special magical item, and they completely forget about it, <laughs> uh, which is also fine if they figure out a solution. I'm a big fan of the the moments out of game time months later. When they go, oh, we have this thing. It's applicable. <laughs> Let's use it. This is great. It's very months, uh, months or years after you've given it to them, of course, yeah. <laughs> like, oh, what's my, this my thing? Favorite... I have it in my backpack. So, so my my still my favorite uh, use of an item in a session was in one of your games, Mike, uh, where you gave me like a potion of glue or something like that, where. We were fighting like a horde of rats in a sewer, and I just threw the glue at the rats and said, "Will this just gum them up so that it's like a, like an immovable wall of rats?" And you let it happen, and it was gross. <laughs> I think the word was uh, I think it was uh, sovereign glue is the name of it. Sovereign glue. That's right. That's right. Yeah. One one of the other things I saw I see with items because that's exactly right. If you Give me an item that has... So here, here's a counter. Uh, 
if you give me an item with a limited amount of uses, I will never use it, right? Because it's if I have three uses of it, it's like, oh, I can't waste, waste this on this. That's too... I'll only have two uses left after this. One of the things I could see would be maybe... I've never seen this before, and I wonder if it's just too harsh, but the idea of a timer, right? Like, you can use this item, but only for the next three days, right? Something that you, you have to use it soon. Maybe forces them to use it in some way? As a, as a bookkeeping metric, it is usually better to milestone it instead of time mm. it. Oftentimes, time gets completely lost unless you're mm. very fastidious about it. Um, the other thing that happens too, depending on the size of your game, the because of the nature of a lot of, uh, I'll, I'll say, at the table RPGs mm. uh, or even live live a, any kind of live one, the only stuff that happens is stuff that happens off the table or on the table, you know, verbally mm. spoken. So. Every once in a while, someone's got to chime up and say, oh, it's it's been a day. I'm keeping track. And, you know, they have to verbally keep track, which leads leads to some weirdness, clunkiness. Right. Uh, and milestone is just kind of easier to keep track of for everyone involved, usually. Right. I believe in another campaign, I was keeping track of the hundred days you get to resurrect somebody. I think I think that was something I was doing for a little bit. Yeah, sometimes you put notes on it long time frames like that get 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 easy to easy to lose track of they're, they're entirely meaningless very yeah. quickly yeah. <laughs> yeah. how many long rests was that um, five <laughs> how many days of travel <laughs> yeah so like a week Backing up to, I mean, so we've got items. We've, we've obviously got, mm -hmm. we've had plenty of MacGuffins throughout the whole season. Mm -hmm. Yep. And from a keeping track of them standpoint, they're they're kind of separate entities from yep. equipment. They're more plot. Yeah, they're yeah. more they're more mission based. I w I do want to note since since we are talking about items, I didn't really plan on this, but. I want to note some of the weird items that were in this episode because I, I realized I just wrote them down because I thought they were neat. There are so the spy eyeglasses, which we talked about a little bit. There was a oh, the propaganda grenade is what I call it. So when the space warriors <laughs> are shooting up shooting up the restaurant, and I think these restaurants are in like a it's like a road stop. Is the way I I, I vision it is that the place that they're at is just uh, the restaurant and refuels point at the end of the hyperspace gate or at the end of the astral gate and it's like a road it's it's a pit stop it's just a truck stop everybody parks there you can get food use the bathroom whatever but so yeah so one after the space warriors shoot up this place they toss a proper they toss that little grenade it explodes out a hologram pops up and says hey you've just been attacked by the space warriors here's why we're doing this thanks Right. It, it pans over a bunch of dead bodies, right? Uh, love that. I want more of those. Um, they also use those later when... Uh, there's a, a, a small scene where the ISSP is chasing after their ship in a, like a debris field of some kind. 
and they launch a bunch of similar, they kind of look like fireworks, but they're really more like billboards. And it's the same thing. It's just like, hey, thanks for driving by. Or, or, I don't remember what they said, but it was the same kind of effect. They were all about having a clean earth. Mm. It was like, don't don't pollute or something <laughs> like that. Or a clean planet. Uh, the last one I noticed was uh, one of the space warriors was playing with a, a sea rat squeak toy. So he just places it down on the desk and it's just like a chew toy. It's important. <laughs> they were wearing those uh, those masks too. Oh yeah, uh, that's right. They have huge thing. rat masks. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, the uh, I think I think I saw those grenades and flak, uh, ca- calling them eye catch, eye catch, eye catch mm. grenades, and yeah, you could use those as a distraction, right? In part of your hunt setup. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah that uh, we haven't really seen a lot of. Have we seen like holograms in Cowboy Bebop? Has that been established yet? In the casino, we do, right? The the name of the casino and the bright lights are all holographic, I mm. think. So that's kind of that's kind of established. Mm-hmm. A hologram grenade. Huh. We got a, we got a couple new pieces of kit here. <laughs> We've also got a virus container, so that's cool. It's um Gunproof, apparently, <laughs> but not not shatterproof. Yeah, that, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's also the, the one of those things that you have to kind of wave your hand off. With. Apparently, these all these uh, ships are bulletproof, significant. Yeah, oh, yeah. No one's worried about explosive decompression when they're firing slug throwers internally. <laughs> it's clearly not an issue. <laughs> I don't know if it's ever been an issue. There's been a lot of pressurized windows blown open that haven't yeah. seemed to matter. <laughs> Even things like the craters, right? The craters on Mars or Tijuana are mm. not domes, really? Maybe Tijuana was, but definitely the ones on Mars were not. You, They flew right through and nothing had opened or closed. It was just air. And also the, also the casino, right? They, they blasted through some glass and everybody's still inside and it's fine. It's, we're okay. Just surprised. It's fine. Cowboy Bebop has has solved explosive decompression. <laughs> I think those I think those were all our kind of main highlights for this episode. Yeah, kind of a short one for us, right? <laughs> yeah, we bounced around to a couple different topics. We got we I, we spent the most on character scars and opportunity for growth. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah, a bit about tonal discussion there, and and not enough on the other realm of reality that is hyperspace. <laughs> it, it's standard high school physics. We don't we don't have to talk about it here. Everybody everybody listening already knows about ghost matter. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I guess let's wrap it up then. Uh, thank you for being here, guys. Uh, everybody else, thank you for listening. See you, space cowboys. Oh, we're doing it every time, aren't we? (laughs) Every time. (laughs) Every time. (laughs) Have a nice week. Eventually, not ironically. Goodbye. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you've got questions, suggestions, or if you're starting your own Bebop Tabletop session, you can reach us on Twitter, at Bebop Tabletop. 